Hey, it's your host, Abigail Pumphrey, and I'm on a personal mission to help more small business owners become financially free. I like to nerd out on all things business, marketing, and most definitely the numbers. I'm talking all the lessons learned as I turned a layoff into a seven-figure online business. I like to share it all and no conversation is off the table. We talk actionable strategies, biz challenges, and all the things life throws your way. Grief, anxiety, loss, and resilience are all topics you'll find here. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in because you're listening to the Strategy Hour podcast brought to you by Boss Project. Have you ever absolutely panicked after you accidentally deleted a file on your computer? I know I have. It's not an issue if you've got Crash Plan Smart Recovery. Your files are just a few clicks away and can be restored in a snap. Crash Plan provides the best cloud backup solutions in the market. Visit CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. Now you can protect all your work with an unlimited backup and recovery solution. CrashPlan makes it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can be your ultimate rewind button. Get unlimited computer backup for you or your business with CrashPlan Professional. CrashPlan backs up files that live on your computer and works with PC, Mac, and Linux. Don't let data disasters slow you down. CrashPlan has your back and keeps you moving. Go to CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. Okay, so I started a new tradition on the most recent vacation that I went on, and I need everyone listening, whoever might go on vacation with me, you included, to understand that I will absolutely try to rope in every single person into this tradition from here on out. So we went on a family trip to Breckenridge recently and with my side of the family and <laughs> Brian, my husband, jokingly, not jokingly, kind of said something about, oh, hey, like, do you want to go get tattoos this weekend? And I am always down for tattoos, literally always. I could walk into a shop right now and have something in mind that I want to do. That's a very open-ended question for me. And so he has jokingly, not jokingly said this enough times in the past like year that I just like got tired of it being a joke. So I said, yeah, we're going to do that. So I found a place. I got a local recommendation. I started looking up some like art, getting some more clear ideas. And so we went. So it was going to be a family thing. And then we just all got disconnected and it didn't work out. But Brian and I did do it. So he got one. I got one. But the crazy story that I have is, so I've been getting tattoos since 2007. And historically, the healing care process has just been like Vaseline and cling wrap or like a very loose bandage and Vaseline. That's worked for me. Well, over the past couple of years, they have started this new like aftercare thing where it's a literal huge 3M strip, an adhesive clear strip. And they cut it to go massively over your tattoo and they put it on your skin. And you can leave that on your skin for three days. You don't need to take it off in those times. Don't need to clean it. You don't need to do anything. And it will like do its tattoo healing magic underneath. And then after three days, you get in a hot, hot shower and you peel it off your skin because it's like very strong adhesive. And then you're good to go. You just keep it moisturized. And so I've heard, you know, off and on things about the preferences of this, but I've never used one before. So we go, so he's cutting the 3M strip, puts it on me, no big deal. Go over to Brian's station. They're like, hey man, like, can you wear Band-Aids fine? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. So they put the 3M strip on him. We're good to go. So I'm like, cool. It's clear. I'm going to be able to see it. It's good. I actually don't hate this. This is awesome. So we immediately go two doors down to a taco place and I get a semi-spicy taco, and then a spicy margarita. If you know me, you know I love spicy things and I can handle spicy things. Well, I'm like halfway through eating this and I am just so hot, like sweating hot. I feel hot. I don't feel great. I am like, feel like I'm drunk, but we're also at high altitude. I am having a margarita, but like I shouldn't feel these things. And so I'm like so uncomfortable. And I tell Brian, I said, does your arm like feel like it's on fire like mine is where your tattoo is covered? He's like, no, I literally forgot that I even have it. I can't feel it at all. And I'm like, my arm just feels so hot. Like everything feels so hot. So he's like, well, maybe like you're just having a reaction to spicy food in the altitude. Like 
whatever, whatever. So 30, 40 minutes goes by and I am, I feel like I have a fever. Like I am unwell. And I'm like, man, is altitude sickness coming at me like two days late? Like what is going on? And so I'm like, I just, I feel like I might be having a reaction. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to go down to the tattoo place and see what's up. So I go down, I walk in and they're like, what are you doing back? And I said, I just feel very hot. And they're like, immediately come back and sit down. And so I go like through the little gate, pulls up my sleeve, looks at my arm and like, I'm already having like, it's not bruising. What is it? Like, like when a, you're like blood blood oh, uh-huh. whatever that's called yeah, all around the edge of this bandage oh, no, no, all no. around. So he looks at it and he's like, Oh no, you're already swelling. I can see it swelling underneath and you're already, Oh, it's like petiquing or something like that. He rips the bandage off, like no warm water, no warning. I'm like, okay, that hurt. And it was just having a very severe reaction. So he bandages it up. He puts regular bandage on it, Vaseline, like within five minutes, I'm feeling gravy. Like body temperature is down. I don't feel heat sensitive anymore. I can finish my food, my arm. Like I literally forget that I have a tattoo. Everything goes back to feeling normal. So I was talking about it with my neighbor, Chelsea, who's a nurse. And I can't remember what it's called. If you guys know, I'm sure you're yelling at it. It starts with a T, but there's some sort of in extra adhesive like that. And in some adhesive things that they use in the hospital, there's this like ingredient in there that it's common, but it's still pretty rare that you'll have a very severe reaction to that. And apparently once you have the reaction once, like it gets worse, (laughs) the more that you're exposed to that. So she being the nurse is like, you need to put that on your medical file. Like you need to tell them that you had that severe reaction to it. Because if you ever go in and they have to use this tape over this tape, like it could be really bad. And I was like, oh, oh, that was a serious thing. Okay. Got it. She was like, yeah, the reaction you had within like 20 minutes was very severe. I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Yeah. I can't do normal band-aids. I have to get band-aids specifically made for people who are allergic to adhesive. Well, and when I hardly ever use a band-aid, but when I do... It itches my skin, but I've just always thought it's, no, a, it's a little like, it's you know, you can kind of deal with it right. for a day or two, but no, I wouldn't I, have considered that a reaction, but Chelsea was like, no, that was you having a reaction to it. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So yeah. yeah I, when you started saying this, I was like, this is going south so fast. Well, um, I have, it's hard to tell on camera, but on where my skin is more sensitive on the edge of the tattoo here, there's still some of the bruising underneath. I'm like, cool. Hope that goes away soon. <laughs> Skin heals so fast. It's wild. It, mm-hmm. it, should, it should heal up pretty nicely. I mean, at least you're not like my spouse. We were ready to walk out the door and I was like, why are you bleeding? And there's what? literally like blood running down his leg. And he's oh my like, God. I don't know. I, I, I'll go look into that. But it was like, <laughs> this guy, how he can just like run into a fence or... Cut himself on a branch or whatever. (laughs) Just like mysterious bruises and cuts all of the time. (laughs) Yeah, just random blood. Mm -hmm. Like okay, Mm -hmm. all right, whatever, dude. My nose started bleeding when we were at the cabin because we were at a ridiculous elevation, just under thirteen thousand feet. And it was very difficult. I actually don't recommend it. Breckenridge was great going up more past that was not fun for me. So take it easy. If you go into, I think it's blue river, the town outside of Breckenridge, that's insanely high elevation. It was gorgeous. It was snowing in the mountains. There was a hot tub, but it was just like, Oh, I don't feel great. I got a nosebleed. Yeah. I'm like, I can go hiking like high, but I can't sleep there. I can't stay up there. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Visit for an afternoon and then come back down kind of thing. Cause it was a lot. And I wanted to go on like all these hikes and walks, but I'm like, I will fall over. Yeah. This I'm wondering good for me. what's Rocky mountain national park elevation. I don't know. I'm looking it up because <sighs> I'm curious. Yeah. It's 14,000 yeah. feet. So but I can't remember where we stayed, like, because I can't imagine it was at the, you know, the high points, but I'm like, was it more at eight? Anyway, this was yep. going on four years ago now. So <laughs> anyway, I don't do well with 
elevation. There are some amazing restaurant recommendations I have for Breckenridge. If y'all go, we went to this incredible Italian restaurant. Their pasta, spaghetti carbonara was the best I've ever had in my life. There's this incredible cookie place that just, you could smell them from the street. They were so (laughs) good. Very unique, fun flavors. And just downtown Breck is really, really cool. There's breweries and wineries and food and shops and all of the things. So highly recommend that. Yeah, it's been ages since I've been to Breckenridge. Yeah, it's it's really, really lovely. Okay, today I want to talk about one of my favorite things, and it's how to enjoy your life more and work less. (laughs) But like tangibly, I saw this article come up from Fast Company that I thought was really timely in the season of going into summer as we are. And the overall busyness that our schedules naturally have in the summer with kiddos or family taking vacations and being out of school and just different things popping up, nicer weather, all of this stuff. I feel like a lot of us like the idea of kind of wanting to slow down in the summer and maybe take some more life first days and actions. And sometimes it gets really hard. And so I saw this article that I felt like put some behaviors into perspective for me. And it's 10 signs, 10 red flags that show that you're addicted to work, according to a psychotherapist. So I feel like that this is a neat perspective of someone like not a CEO, but someone who's like on the more mental side of this game. And so I want to go over the, the 10 things that they're talking about. And in the sense of like, I just want to call out the behavior for what it is. And I would love for you all to kind of do some self-reflection of like, ooh, I have a tendency to think that way or create that urgency around this piece of it. And maybe just do a little bit of, you know, reflecting on your schedule this week to see where you could be a little bit more self-aware about maybe where you're thinking these things or feeling these things. Mm -hmm. Cool? Yeah. Okay, so this one is 10 warning signs that were synthesized from case studies from self-described workaholics in this clinical practice. Not all 10 signs are present in every case. So this is a not, you're not a workaholic if you don't have all 10 of these situation. If even one of these is really blatantly obvious for you, I would have some reflection on that. Consider them as useful guys to help you, guidelines to help you recognize workaholism, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the first one too, no one's, and I don't feel like any of these are going to be surprised, but I think the examples, I want to read you the case study of it. Cause I think you might see yourself in some of them, not you specifically, but everyone. Yeah, I know what you mean. Okay. So hurry, 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 mm-hmm. hurry is mm-hmm. the first sign of being addicted to work. Mm-hmm. This is the case study. As I'm walking out the door, I glance at my watch and I realize I have 10 more minutes before my next appointment. And I think this is even more blatantly obvious for remote spaces where we have those really weird gaps in Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting. So you have 10 more minutes before your next appointment. I just have to cram in one more thing. So I rush back to my desk, put in a call. And before I know it, 15 minutes have passed and now I'm late to my appointment. And it's this like need to fit in productivity in every single minute and second of the day that impacts how productive you actually are with everything else that you've committed to that day that I want you all to reflect on. Oh, I've definitely been there, but I will say this is something I've improved on. And one of the things that helped me probably the most dramatically was like intentionally designing my schedule so that the break was either long enough that I could actually have a break mm-hmm. or answer more or a little bit closer together so that if I had five minutes, then I could run to the bathroom. But like, I wasn't, you're not going to try to send an email. I can't do mm-hmm. something in my break, but I can still have enough time to be a human in the thing. Yep. And the part it was just structure. Like what's yep. going to work best for me? How much time do I need between meetings? Does this one need a gap or not? And like, not just reflecting on it once, but reflecting on it on a very regular basis. Cause it, it kind of changes with season. Yeah. So here's a little bit of the psychotherapy portion of this. So it could feel like nothing moves fast enough for you. The more items that are on crossed off on your list, the better. When a job is left hanging, you feel anxious and afraid. So to curb that anxiety, you add or you function on two or three activities going on at once. So if you feel like this, you're compelled to multitask. Having many things happen at once and engaging in two or three tasks simultaneously 
gives you the sense of accomplishment and it gives you an adrenaline rush. So there's a clear bodily function that's happening when you feel busy like that. So you're going to keep seeking that feeling. Performing only one activity at a time feels unproductive and boring. I literally can't do more than one thing at a time anymore. I mm-hmm. used to be able to. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nope. <laughs> it's not a thing. <laughs> not a thing. Okay. So control. I must write, produce, and star in my life. I really don't have time to develop this new account, but I know if I have to hand it over to someone else, it won't be handled right. So then now I choose to work nights, write and design a new ad campaign, for example, but it's all worth it. In the long run, we'll keep this client or we'll maintain this goal or we'll do this. And I'd rather do it myself than waste time with a bunch of bad ideas from other people. And even if that's not the exact language you're using in your brain, when we, I feel like, grasp at control in a lot of different areas, that's the anxiety that's saying some of those things. And to me, that's one of the clearest signs of being work addicted. Well, and I also think it's a sign that you need to grow as a leader and a manager because it's an immature behavior in that kind of situation where you haven't learned to trust your team. You haven't learned to properly delegate. You don't feel like you can let go because you don't even know how. And Mm -hmm. it takes practice and time and intention. Well, and Um, like kind of going back when you say you don't let go because you don't know how. Yes, that is true. And if you all keep using that as the reason why you're not doing it, please just know that that is an excuse. Oh, 100%. You don't know how it may be true for the first couple of times, but after that, you're just avoiding learning. Yeah, <laughs> your literal job to learn how to do that. Right. 100%. Again, this bringing up the psychotherapy portion of this, it is stemming from insecurity. Your need to control your life means you're uncomfortable in unpredictable situations. Solo work can give you a sense of security. Projects come with a beginning, middle, and an end. And when you're in control of all of those stages, you then feel like your entire life is in control. So if this is where you're feeling, maybe do some self-reflection on how you're feeling outside of work and ask yourself, is there something else that needs addressed in your personal life? And that's why you're showing up this way in your work life. Yeah, no, for sure. I will say I see this symptom the most often with people who in group project situations all through school that they were the one who did 98% of the project and learned to not trust their peers. I mean, I appreciate that you were a star student, but the goal of those situations was for you to learn how to like be on a team. And I totally get that as a young person that some people simply do not want to participate, but that environment of like collaboration and teamwork and whatever, it is required for you to continue to grow as a leader. That I didn't recognize until I was much older. Because I was the person who, who I would say I did not like group projects. I, I, I was definitely putting in more work than other people. I cared more about it, whatever, whatever. But also looking back on that, while those things were likely true, the skill that I didn't realize I needed to learn was literally how to then work with other people. Just because they're not working in the way that I want to or showing up like me, the skill that's being taught there is how to mitigate that in spite of how other people are acting. Yeah. Not taking it on yourself. I would have much rather you had learned to communicate or like talk about your needs or like express deadlines in a better way or come up with an alternative way to like work on it together. And I also wish teachers had spent more time talking about those issues rather than pretending they weren't happening. Because to me, that was the much bigger learning opportunity than the actual assignment primarily. Mm -hmm. But neither here nor there, we can reflect on those times and use it as a sign that we need to address this in the now. Yep. Okay. So another sign to no one's surprise is perfectionism. We've talked about this often. I, instead of beating myself up for perfectionism that I 100% know comes from anxiety because it shows itself in, in multiple different areas at different times. I have instead tried to figure out how to lean into a healthier version of perfectionism. We have an entire chat and workshop about that with our incubator clients because it's a really big thing that comes up. 
in the growth of that program. But in this sense, perfectionism, I think I'm superhuman. I can't be content to accomplish something without laying the groundwork for something else. Fearing that I'll somehow fall behind or get out of control. We're sensing a theme here. I constantly must be striving to accomplish a goal or some block of work. And this one is so... I have a love-hate relationship with perfectionism. And I think one of the reasons why I developed the workshop I did with our people is part of me, I've been on a mission for years, taking meaning and taking words back that have been used against me or against people like me for decades, right? Perfectionism, bossy, opinionated, right? Those kind of things. And spinning them to be, "Mm, I don't have to completely remove that part of myself. And here's how I can show up in this way, in a healthy way. But I think that as an artist, I not only went to art school, but I would consider myself an artist. I create in a lot of different mediums. The, The desire of constantly wanting to put out and create work is so immense in my bones that like the rear of the ugly head of perfectionism telling me to not create work, even though I feel innately like pushed to create work, not for the sake of like accomplishing a goal, but putting work out into the world is so freaking frustrating (laughs) at times. And I'm still learning how to unravel it. Yeah. I don't think there's a great solution to perfectionism directly. I feel like for all of these, as someone who's done a lot of self-work, self-reflection, self-improvement, it's so important to address the root cause. Uh And so Uh you have to be looking at what's fueling it and what's causing you to behave in a certain way. And it could be like decade-old trauma. It could be current stress outside of work. It could be stress inside of work. It could be all sorts of things. But I've, for me, what's been the most helpful is not trying to immediately correct the behavior, but instead look at what's causing the behavior and can I work to solve, work through, process, whatever that thing. And often the other stuff kind of like dissolves on its own. Mm -hmm. Not every time. Sometimes they very intentionally have to move past it because in the same way you could be addicted to work, you can be addicted to that behavior pattern too. Yeah. So if you're thinking things like there's no room for mistakes or anyone falling short of your ideas of perfection is lazy or doing everything perfectly showcases that is the hallmark of work addiction. It's tough to accomplish one goal without laying the groundwork for another project. You narrow your life to only the things at which you can excel at. So therefore judging yourself and others unmercifully. If you've ever said or continue to say this phrase, I'm eyeballing you, i fucking hate this phrase, even when it's used in like silly, it doesn't actually matter kind of things around the house or in life or whatever. This phrase is banned from my house. Well, if I wanted something done right, I should have just done it myself. That is a toxic as fuck phrase. And it's conditioning yourself to seek perfectionism every time you say it, even if you're just being funny. Well, I also want you to go back to you said a phrase where like, if you continue to only pick work that you're good at, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You narrow your life to only those things at which you excel. Okay, so the problem with that, and I see this often with early entrepreneurs, is they focus on the thing that they're fantastic at, their talent, their skill, the reason they started their business. And over time, they continue to neglect the areas they don't feel as strong in. And you can get a business that is incredibly lopsided. Like imagine like working out, but you only ever curl your left bicep and you never bother with the right. It literally looks ridiculous, both from the outside. And so like, I know that like for you to continue to grow your whole business, that you have to acknowledge the areas you're not in strong in and either improve and learn and like address those things or find people that you can trust to help you process that information and advise you in those areas. It can be a coach. It can be a consultant. It can be like a specialized person, like an accountant or bookkeeper. It depends on what exactly you're talking about, but ignoring it like it doesn't exist 
is very problematic, especially as you start to grow a team. This is where I see toxic work cultures start developing, you know, unethical work environments, both for yourself and other people. And so I'm calling you out because I care Mm -hmm. and because I know the power of you investing in yourself in areas you're weaker. Yep. Want to learn exactly step-by-step how to get paid to generate leads in your business? I've kept these details to myself for far too long. I'm ready to spill everything and give you the exact steps that help me generate tens of thousands of qualified leads and millions in low-ticket digital product sales. I won't just show you what I did, but teach you how you can do it too. I'm talking not just how to create low-ticket digital products, but also showing you how to use them strategically to generate leads for your other existing or future offers. I'm sharing it all at bossproject.com slash jumpstart, including exactly how I made $8,033 and generated 277 leads my very first month selling digital products. Find out more at bossproject.com slash jumpstart. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I love that Indeed makes it easy to hire because I'm busy enough already. When we've hired in the past, the process was full of unqualified applicants. With Indeed, we can target the right candidates for the right position. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Just go to Indeed.com slash strategy hour right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Money issues are a common stressor in any relationship. Monarch Money is the top-rated personal finance app that can get you and your partner on the same page without any extra cost. Monarch has built-in collaboration features, so together you can see your finances, budget, and get insights on your cash flow. It's the easiest way to manage any household finances. I've tried other finance apps in the past, and they didn't work the way I wanted them to. I don't want to stress over finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to get set up, customize, and use. Monarch prioritizes my privacy, and they'll never sell my data to third parties. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash strategy for your extended 30-day free trial. Okay, so this next one might hit a little close to home for some of you either as a kiddo And then if you're mimicking this behavior now, you might have some emotions pop up, but we're going to get through it together. Another very clear sign of being addicted to work is signs of relationship difficulties or what they're calling work infidelity. So when you're wedded to work, you have little time left over for your spouse, partner, or children. True workaholics are no-shows at a child's recital or soccer game because of work calls You have a pattern of forgetting, ignoring, or minimizing the importance of family rituals and celebrations. Family members might have to remind you about birthdays, reunions, holidays, and anniversaries. And even if you make it to an event, your cell phone ushers you into the event and you have trouble concentrating because your mind is back at the office. And the reason why I think this one might deserve more self-reflection for us listening than we might think is because our work probably for most of you listening is at home right? Your office is at home. You work from home. There's no clear boundary of delineation of space, right? Some of you might work at your kitchen table, in your living room, in your bedroom, and there's all these mixed and mingled spaces that just life has allowed to happen, good or bad, right? 
And especially as business owners, CEOs, founders, there's a little bit, I feel like, extra grace given to us when we're building and growing our businesses, especially if we have supportive family and partners who are like, no, no, send that email. It's okay. Take that call. It's okay. You can work late. You're building your dream. You're doing these things. That's okay. And while I love me a supportive partner and some of those sacrifices at different times can absolutely be necessary in what you need. And then learning when it's time to set some clearer boundaries, when you don't have to resort to those actions just to be successful. I know for me, when I had a wake up call, this has happened a couple of times, and I'm not afraid to admit it because I think it's important to acknowledge it doesn't have to always be a massive letdown for it to be a significant thing you should address. So like, I definitely, as a child, had one parent more present than the other. And work was definitely a very clear part of that. But I started to check myself when two major things happened. The first one was I was in over my head at work, had so much going on. And then essentially as survival mode, just pretended like all the volunteer obligations that I had said yes to just didn't exist anymore. Like I completely fell off the side of the planet to the point of I had people calling me, like asking if I was okay, like, where are you? What happened? Like, and for real, there was some like mental health stuff that I needed to work on, but it was, I was just completely checked out of something that previously people had seen me very much care about and very much pay attention to. And I kind of took a step back and, you know, really reflected on what I wanted. And ultimately in that season decided that stepping down from those obligations was a better choice for me than attempting to balance both because I just didn't simply have the time. And if I was going to have a gap, I'd much rather spend it with family than the other things I had obligated myself to. But the other one was more surprising where, you know, there was stuff happening in my life and also business. But then I noticed like three or four major life events in a row. It was like I would wake up and I'd be like, it's in two weeks. Like I hadn't bought presents for Christmas. And then like I almost forgot my mom's birthday. And then I, you know, failed to get my sister a gift for her birthday. And it was like this six months of like behavior that you know, it's not the end of the world. My family still loves me. Still things, things still came together, you know, belated happy birthday, whatever. But like previously I had put a lot of forethought, like time and energy into these things. And gift giving is one of the things that while I wouldn't say it's like my natural love language, like I know doing it right, like can be such an incredible way to show people that you love them. And when I had like, failed at this for six months, maybe even a full year. I was like, okay, get it together. We need to like back up. And like, if it's even just giving myself better deadlines of, okay, I need to start thinking about this thing further out or whatever, that's fine. But like, I don't want you to get to the point where you're disappointed in how you're showing up for your family. That sucks. And it doesn't have to mean that you're you're working 80 hours a week at your business to be distracted. You could be working a normal amount of hours, but like if your attention's still there when you're not at work, yep. that's the problem. Yep. Okay. So this next one is going into work binges. So self-imposing deadlines all of the time. Chances are you've occasionally worked overtime to meet a deadline. We've all been there. But workaholics strangle themselves with unrealistic deadlines and work binges to complete projects. So you go into what many describe as an altered state, avoiding sleep, missing meals, working around the clock to finish a project. You would rather work nonstop for days than spread tasks out over a reasonable time period. And in extreme cases, you might mimic the alcoholic who stashes booze wherever they go. Instead of hiding booze, you shove your laptop into suitcases or under car seats. Many workaholics sneak their work much like an alcoholic sneaking a drink when their concerned complainers are out of earshot. Even at leisure events, after promising not to work, you slip out your iPhone and shuffle papers inside pants or skirt pockets. It's as if you need to work a work fix everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. I hope I haven't been there. I know for sure the reason I stopped social selling was this reason. Yeah. 
Yeah. Not because I was addicted, but because I didn't know how to let go. And yeah. so I needed to change the mechanism to sell to make that. Well, make it was so I feel like I could have a whole conversation about that with you because it was while it worked, <laughs> it was like, oh, but this is a directly living out of the values that we've 100%. already set up within this work culture. 100%. Why would we allow it to continue? Well, and could you have made it work by respecting your time boundaries? Yes, but like the conversion rate would have been exactly. so exactly. much lower. Yep. So like if yep. I didn't respond when people were actively talking, yep. like At it was going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. And it was often, it was always the time. It was always outside of working hours. Always. Like it was never during yep. the day. And I probably did this for 18 months and I was like, I need to change something or this uh-huh. isn't going to work. Uh-huh. Yep. And it was so funny this weekend. I think I've gotten so far the opposite. Can you tell I'm a recovering workaholic, guys? <laughs> <laughs> so I have gotten to the point where, you know, it used to be my phone was my access to work when I wasn't there. And so I would post on social to like make my life look a certain way or and like share things I genuinely enjoyed. But it got to the point that like social media was for work only. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any downtime that wasn't for work. And I literally lost my phone twice this weekend. And I probably looked at it for 30 minutes yeah. both days. My mom called me, I think, 14 times. Yeah. I um, love using my phone on the weekend. <laughs> and she was like, are you okay? Where are you? <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. like, I just have been in the yard and I didn't want my phone in the sun. And I'm sorry, but yep. what's up? <laughs> mm-hmm. This other one, I feel like kind of sometimes goes hand in hand. And I've definitely seen you and I struggle with this in, in different degrees. Restlessness. <laughs> I always have this annoying voice in my head. It tells me I don't have the right to relax or unwind. This voice says, look, fun is a waste of time. What do you have to show for it? Go do something productive. This symptom can show up when you feel guilty and useless whenever you doing you are doing something that doesn't produce results. If you're exercising cleaning, or doing a job-related activity, you feel okay. But if you're hanging out with friends, you might feel restless and irritable because of work withdrawal. Leisure activities are viewed as a frivolous waste of time because you have nothing to show for them. And you look down at your nose at colleagues who take vacations or leave early, becoming so restless, ready for it, that you turn hobbies and recreation into productivity or money-making adventures. What? (laughs) I've never done that. I've never done that. We've both done that, but you tend to be pretty <laughs> into this. <laughs> Emily and making money from hobbies is, I could write a whole book on it, <laughs> money from hobbies. It's a disease. <laughs> Guys, how many of you own one of her paintings? How many of you own one of her sets of earrings? How many of you have read her romance novel? <laughs> How many of you have worked with her in various regards that have nothing to do with Bross Project? I would imagine a significant portion of our listeners. So I love that for you. And (laughs) it's okay to let go. It's anyway. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. This may be the biggest area Emily needs uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. 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 Because also the artist, right? The restless oh, artist in 100%. Me has to create something. Okay. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it has been very freeing to learn how to create without having to show up for it. Yeah. So, like, I planted, you know, so many flowers this weekend and I've made good food and I like, showed up for my family by figuring out new recipes, but I can't explain to you how freeing it is to not feel the pressure to like take the perfect photo of the shit or like record a video around it or, and that's the rage now on Instagram is like ugly photo, candid photos. And so I'm like, great. I'm not even going to send these through a filter and I'm just going to publish it. (laughs) Okay. This next one I've literally never heard of before. So I'll see if you've heard of this one. It's literally called a brownout. Work trances or brownouts are comparable to alcoholics' blackouts. Before you say it, do you want to know what a brownout means in the hospice world? Something about poop, I bet. (laughs) Uh huh. Uh. This is in the workspace. Okay, so I'm going to assume shit hits the fan, but go ahead. (laughs) It's not that. 
During a work trance, you have memory lapses during long conversations because you're preoccupied with work. You don't remember commitments or agreements because your mind is in the future or past, turning out the present moment, tuning out the present moment, so you have no recollection. Here's an example, though, a specific case study from someone, because I think that this describes it really well. So Melanie described one work trance this way. And I like work trance better than brownout. So we're going to call them work trance. Work trance, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was my boyfriend's birthday, and I'd spent most of the day with him. We were supposed to have dinner together. He was even going to cook. But just before dinner time, I became so anxious, I had to get out of his apartment. I hadn't done one work-related thing all day. I told him I needed to run home to change clothes. But once in the car, I found myself driving towards my office. I told myself I would merely type a few paragraphs and go over tomorrow's appointments. I don't remember the three hours that passed. (gasps) It was 10 p.m. when I rushed to my car and floored it back to his apartment. I was stopped by a police officer for speeding. I tried to explain my situation to him, but to no avail. When I finally made it back, my boyfriend had already eaten his birthday dinner alone. (laughs) And I felt terrible. Yet even worse, I didn't know why I did it. Oh, my God. Chills. Like what? Well, you know, I will say, no, do I believe this happens to people? Yes, obviously. And I would be so hard. Like if your addiction gets to the point that it's an unconscious addiction, that's intense. That's a lot. At least like most of the time I'm aware I'm making (laughs) it. You're (laughs) so aware that you're doing something you don't want to (laughs) do. But oh, yeah. Like, yeah. That's a of the 10. Is this the 10th one? There's two more. Okay. Well, of the ones you've mentioned, this is the only one where I'm like, Three more. I don't think I've done this. I don't think I've done that to that extreme. No. And I think a big part of, well, I mean, you could all sneak over to your office in the middle of the night and not remember, I guess, but I don't think I've gotten to that point. This next one though, <laughs> this is, I feel like my number one sign of, of not just being a workaholic, because I mean, I honestly don't know if I would ever describe myself as a workaholic, but this one definitely comes up when work is stressful sure. and I can't not stop thinking about work. But is work stress a precursor to workaholism? Maybe. It's like the- right. right. Okay. So impatience and irritability. So since time is your most prized commodity, you hate to wait. So it's showing signs in other areas, right? So this is what you need to be looking for. You white knuckle it and drum your fingers during wait times and try almost anything to get to the front of the line at the grocery store, restaurant, or movie. You're easy to spot at the doctor's waiting room, the one gazing into a cell phone or open laptop, fastly scribbling pen. You're easily annoyed when interrupted. And in the long run, your impatient results in impulsivity and premature decision-making. You might start projects before gathering all the facts, and sometimes you make avoidable mistakes because you hurried and harried actions lead you to bypass research and exploration. So mine comes out in the sense of like, I am so overwhelmed about all of the possibilities or options of what could happen in work that it's consuming my thoughts all of the time. And then it's like family stuff and I get super impatient and I get super irritable and I have to try to like compartmentalize a little bit and disengage from thinking about it for an afternoon or this event or whatever. Do you think it's impatient for you or that you get short? I mean, both for sure. Okay. Okay. Well, I know impatience with, you know, they're like, it's a virtue. I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. So it's (laughs) not one that I have. And I was very frustrated with it, but now it's so strange It's like I've completely mellowed out. I will be at the grocery store. I had this whole 20-minute conversation with a cashier the other day. And I was (laughs) like, have you heard about slow lanes? And she's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, it's this concept in other countries where they have like this slow lane at the grocery store and it's for elderly and those lonely and those with disabilities and those like seeking social connection where like, there's no hurry. There's no rush. We're not trying to get through this. We're trying to create community. And I was mm-hmm. like, I love that. Mm-hmm. She's like, that sounds amazing. We should totally have a slow lane at Walmart. Mm-hmm. I was like, good luck with that with corporate. But yeah, <laughs> I <laughs> I don't know. The like, I have more times than not recently said, I'm in no rush. I have nowhere else yeah. to be. Yeah. And because it's true. I don't. Where am I going? Where am I going? What am I doing? <laughs> okay. This next one is self-inadequacy. Yikes. 
Work was my security, promising to fill the hours and give me purpose, meaning, and self-esteem. But as soon as the project was done, the emptiness, unrest, and depression returned. The only time I felt worthy was when I was producing things so that I could constantly prove that I was okay. Ugh. Yikes. I think we're just going to have to move right along because I don't want to dig into that one. (laughs) If you get a temporary high when you complete a project and in between achievements, if you feel empty and lost, then there's a feeling of inadequacy that could be bothering you until you will immerse yourself into your next project. Work is the one thing that used to bring her love and attention from her parents when she was younger, and she still believes she has to prove herself in order to be accepted by others. And fuck you, this article. Oh my God. (laughs) That's a lot right there man i i felt that like a stab to the heart emily really is the fear of failure your constant companion stop (laughs) well okay i will say that one of the things that has curbed this specific thing and i'm sure you would echo it we had to move away from the launch model because the the high was so high, but the lows were the lowest I've ever felt in my fucking life when literally nothing was wrong. Nothing was wrong. And I couldn't, Uh I couldn't sustain it long-term. And I'm so glad we've switched to a more steady, sustainable business model, but my God, that was rough. Yep. Yep. This is a really big one for me as an Enneagram three is just the type of person that I am. I have always gotten the high feeling, the lovely feeling from like outside validation and all humans need that. I'm not, I'm just not a bad thing that I'm saying about myself, but what comes from that is constantly trying to be what you think other people want you to be so that you get the praise, the feedback, the success, the whatever. And if you're not getting those things, then no one is thinking about you or cares about you or thinking that you're doing good work. And I remember a very, very emotional conversation you and I had at one point where you know, and Abby is spiritual and I am not, but she was coming from it from the space of like, I know that you're not. And like you were here, you were like put onto this earth to just be like, you just get to be, you don't have to do and, and turn into anything to like get love or get whatever it is that I was like needing and seeking at that time. And it was such a hard thing for me to wrap my brain around because I just do not know what that means and what that means in the sense of then how do I conduct myself day to day? And I'm still figuring that out. I don't know if I'll ever figure it out perfectly just because of who I am. It is difficult. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I know we don't talk about my faith on here and because I want everyone to always feel welcome and regardless of where you stand on that whole spectrum. But I will say that the one thing it has helped with is that innate sense of feeling like I am valued and worthy and loved and cared for because it was drilled in since I was an infant. And so even when I'm broken, I can kind of go back to that in some way. But I remember that conversation. It was really hard to watch, like, because you were so down. And it wasn't that I was trying to build you up. I just wanted you to believe for yourself that you are worthy without the outside validation. And, you know, validation can be a strong way to build yourself up, but it's that self-love, self-confidence, self-worthiness, mm-hmm. self that like we have to start with. Yeah. And it takes some inner healing. It's a tough one. Okay. So this last one is self-neglect. And this first sentence of how they've structured this is just hilarious. So I'm going to read it as, as is. <laughs> Gobble, gulp, and go are at the top of your priority list. Stop it. Self-care is at the bottom. Sorry. Did someone interview someone I know? Like, I don't even understand. Gobble, gulp, and go. Your job trumps taking care of yourself. You pay little attention to your mental and physical conditions, which are all on a downhill slide. Nutrition, rest, and exercise are no-shows in your life, along with the inability to say no to a work task. When coping mechanisms such as chain smoking, Red Bulls, and junk food are added to the picture, your health deteriorates further. Even when real symptoms, how many times have we seen this? Even when real symptoms such as headaches, ulcers, or high blood pressure crop up, you say you don't have time to go to the doctor. Although you know there's a problem, you convince yourself to ignore it. How many people do we know in this industry who've landed themselves in the emergency room? Oh, I know. Because I of know. these things. I know. And if you find yourself not taking the time to 
eat, like not at your desk, like actually schedule time away. You know, I know it's getting bad when Emily looks at me like, when is the last time you brushed your hair? Because <laughs> it can get out of hand. I don't know if you guys have seen me without my hair taken care of, but it is wild. It's hard when you get into a pattern of not taking care of yourself, regardless of what it's stemming from, whether it's work or not, it's a hard pattern to get out of. And like, I have definitely been, it's been a long time, but I've been in the season where even like convincing myself to shower was a lot. Right. Right. And so like, I don't want you guys to feel alone in it, but you have to do one thing at a time. Like you can't go from this, like, total skincare like you can't go from like not showering to like I'm gonna have this whole skin routine every night and it's like a 45 minute ritual before you go to bed like it's gonna take yeah you have to take baby steps yeah so I want to go too hard too fast for three days and then it'll burn out it's gotta be sustainable I want to leave you with some terms that I had never heard of before. And so if you guys want to dig deeper into a specific type of workaholism, you can do that. So they're saying that the broad umbrella term of workaholism is only a starting point, but there are four major categories of it. The relentless, the bulimic, the attention deficit, and the savoring. So maybe you can see yourself a loved one or a colleague in one of these categories. And this will give you a little bit of clarity, but I would definitely do some Googling and and some digging into on your own. So bulimic workaholics, low work initiation, but high work completion. Relentless workaholics, high work initiation, high work completion. Savoring workaholics, low work initiation and low work completion. And attention deficit workaholics, high work initiation, but low work completion. And so really kind of see how are you showing up in this to see, are there a couple areas that you could bring some self-awareness to, set some new boundaries on and see how it improves, not your work, but you and your relationships and your happiness here on this earth with the rest of us. Looking to elevate your brand without the headache? Join the co-op our creative template shop membership. With thousands of easy to customize templates, all crafted to seamlessly fit your business aesthetics. We make nurturing leads and driving sales effortless. We're talking serious impact and seriously simple creation. Become a member now at creativeshopcoop.com and transform your business today. That's creativeshopcoop.com. Hey, a few quick favors before you leave. I'd love if you'd share today's episode, send it to a friend who needs to hear it and post on social. You can show us where you're listening from, your favorite takeaway, or why someone else should listen. Be sure to tag me at Abigail Says and at Boss Project so we can share it. Okay, second favor, to get podcast updates and all the behind the scenes news from Boss Project, I'd love if you'd join my VIP list. Just head to bossproject.com slash sign up to make sure I have all your contact details. Really love this show? It would mean so much to me if you'd leave a rating and review. It not only helps more listeners find the show, but allows us to bring on quality sponsors so we can keep bringing you this valuable content for free. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.